hello, and welcome back to the Generators Podcast with me, Trent McClellan. It's episode 57. 57 times I've done this now, okay? And some of you have been there for all 57, so welcome back. And if you're new, welcome. Come on in, sit down, grab a seat. Have we got a bunch of stuff to tell you, and you've got a lot of stuff to catch up on. Um, I hope you guys are all good out there and uh, doing well. It, I'm recording this on Sunday uh, from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, Earth. And uh, it's actually Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada. So if you're in America, you're like, wait a second, that's not Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's in November. No, it's not. It's not up here. We do it earlier, okay? Because we like to space out our feasts. We know we're going to do a Christmas feast. We're like, okay, well, let's, let's push the other one to like October. Let's do that. Give us a two months break. Let us recover, get back to the gym and our healthy habits, and then tear it all up again over Christmas. But you guys, you crazy Americans, you're like, nah, let's do November. And a few weeks later, let's do Christmas. And just, you know, it's too much. It's just, it's off the rails for too long a period of time. So up here in Canada, we like to go, yeah, we'll do our Thanksgiving in October. We'll go first on that. Don't you worry about it. And um, so I went up to my uh, cousin's place, and uh, we had a great turkey dinner up there. The turkey dinner, too, I don't know about for you guys, do you ever, you ever have a turkey dinner? It's a ton of food. It tastes delicious. And you get offered a second plate. You get offered, hey, would you like seconds? And for a brief moment, you think, I don't need seconds. I've, I've just eaten a mound of turkey and vegetables. I, I, don't, I don't need a second plate of that. But then you go, I really did like it. I would like some more, maybe, parts of me. And then you do it. And then you feel like an absolute animal afterwards. You, you didn't need it. You feel terrible now. You're bloated, right? Just bad stomach now, just sitting there like a lump on a log. Just, what am I... What am I doing? Why did I have to say yes to that? Anyway, that's what I did is what I'm saying. And it was delicious. And um, had a great meal. We sat around afterwards, watched some PVR episodes of uh, Saturday Night Live, Chris Rock's episode and Bill Burr's episode. Watched those and then I uh, moseyed on home. And now I'm talking to you fine folks. So um, that's what I've been up to. So I hope you're having a, a good Thanksgiving. Hope it was good to you. Lots of stuff to be thankful for. Look, I know. Lord knows it's been a rough year. None of us can lie about that. We can't pretend that's not the case. But look, if you're able to listen to this and you can hear what I'm saying right now, that means you're alive, okay? And you get another crack at the can every single day. So that's something to be thankful for. You know, and I think in this day and age right now with everything that's going on, if we can't find reasons to be thankful and display some gratitude for what we do have, um, then we're never going to be able to do it. And I think it's one of the big themes that's come up in the podcast over the last bunch of episodes is just this new appreciation for the world uh, that we're living in right now for the small things that we do have. And hopefully you've taken some time to do that. Um, Another thing I'm thankful for, uh, besides, you know, family, friends, my health, uh, all the fans for stand up in 22 minutes. Um, I'm also thankful that, um, you know, we're, we're back at work. We put out a sketch last week, um, the Atlantic bubble sketch, which is now apparently 
over 1.4 million views, which is insane. Um, it's been up for a few days. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, but as with all things and all sketches that you put it out in the world, it does uh, anger some people. And that's where it is now in comedy. You know, you put stuff out there. Clearly, you know, all this stuff is just an attempt to lighten the load of people and to make people laugh. That's all we're trying to do. And I guess one of the, uh, one of the scenes in the sketch is me, um, dressed up like a, like an angry fisherman and I have a lobster claw and I'm, I'm kind of clawing the car, you know, and people have taken offense to that somehow that it just, you know, I don't think it's right to be, you know, promoting vandalism. It's like, I'm in a fake beard with a lobster claw in my hand, you know, like, do you, do you think that's what I'm promoting that we're promoting on the show? It's like, clearly this was done in jest and most people get it. I know you do. You get the joke it's that we're just being silly, but there are people out there who take it very seriously. And I guess it's just where the world is now. You know, people need something to get angry about, um, need something to complain about, need a target to unleash their frustrations for other areas of their life, I think. And quite often, anything that's out in the public gets it, you know? So we realize that. As a comedian, I realize it. As a, a cast member on the show, I realize it. Um, but it's just very interesting to go down through the comments underneath, you know, a sketch or a clip and see where the, the, the conversation breaks off into, you know? People start putting their politics on there. They start putting their you know, just all their background on there, all their comments are painted with that stuff, you know. But at the end of the day, we're just trying to make people laugh, you know. So anyway, very interesting. Uh, but again, grateful that, you know, the majority of people understand what we were going for there and and uh, people seem to be enjoying it. So grateful for that. Um, all right. Well, that's enough of me talking about me and what's going on. I'm going to set up the old episode here. I got, um, my guest this week is the very funny Steve Patterson. Now, if you know anything about Canadian comedy, you know who Steve Patterson is. He is the host of The Debaters on CBC Radio. He's also the host of The Debaters Live, which is more the stand-up version that tours around um, and and does, you know, the debates as well. But they also do stand-up segments um, when they go into these in these cities. Um, he's an author. He's written a book. He's got another book coming out called Dad Up, which comes out in May. You can pre-order now off his website. And uh, Steve is one of the, he's one of the nicest guys in the biz. I've known him for a bunch of years. Um, incredibly talented, incredibly funny and smart, a nice guy. Um, and one of the guys that I think early on got the business side of the, of, of stand-up comedy because I think when you first start it, it's very much about you know having fun and hanging out and you make a little bit of money just enough to scrape by and uh, you know you figure this is going to be it I guess for the rest of my life but I think Steve got a grasp early on what it was going to take to to get some stability in this business and to carve out a little niche for himself and he's done that um, in a great way in a big way so Anyway, uh, I caught up with Steve at his little uh, office area that he uh, goes to do uh, his writing, and uh, we talk about that a little bit as well. But uh, anyway, enjoy my chat with uh, Steve Patterson. All right, joined by my good friend... Look at him. You look like you look like a guy, Steve Patterson. You look like a guy right now who's like at a cottage 
who's just like decided to just get away from from the world's troubles and just looking at the lake like you're just looking pondering will i will i fish today or what will i grill for supper i mean i like i like that i've got that going because i'm looking at a train track in toronto <laughs> one could come by at any time and i mean if i i wish i was looking at a lake and also i'd never get the lighting right so i look like i'm in heaven uh, exuding, uh, just exuding paleness upon people. So sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. Um, it's funny we're talking about uh, like these these cottage scenes. I remember uh, Mike Wilmot and Derek Edwards sitting at a table at one of the festivals. Maybe it was Halifax Fest, and uh, talking about this cottage and two of them going into the woods. And I was like, I think at an earlier age I wouldn't have appreciated that. I would have been like, oh, "What do you do with this?" And, and and now I totally I'm at an age where I like I totally get why someone would just it. wander into the woods and not be heard from. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Not and like not yeah not care about anything and literally just get drunk all the time. Right. Yeah. Just be like, "What time is it? I don't care. It's seven a.m. I don't I don't care. I'm drinking this whiskey now." Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There is no set plan for the day. No agenda. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds really amazing. It sounds yeah. really, really amazing. So, um, how are you and the family doing in this uh, in this new world? I've told other folks in the podcast, to be completely honest, when the when this first all came about towards, I guess March, I was four shows into a tour and I had to shut it down and yeah. and uh, be like, yeah, we we can't go forward with it. And uh, I'll be honest, I kind of appreciated the break because it was the end of the 22 season and I was four shows yeah. in and I had a bunch of travel to go across the country and I was disappointed yeah. to have to cancel the shows, but physically and mentally, I was like, wow, like I am, I am tired and drained. So the first couple of weeks, it was a combination of relaxation and like settling, but also like, what, can I touch stuff? And what, did someone sneeze over there? And anxiety, like just yeah. too crazy. And then I started to get into a little bit of a routine of trying to normalize things. What was your process with all of it? How did you, how did you get through it? It's funny. I've, I spoke with Colin Mockery and a few a few people over the course of the time about, you know, I, a lot of people were in that boat of like people that travel all the time and were really busy. were like, that's not bad. You know, I had like the first the first week that things got canceled. I had like a like a three, a three corporate week, which is a big money week, you know, and you're like, yeah, you know, I, I don't mind if I don't do it for that group. That was, you know, that was going to be an OK trip, but it was going to be a bit of a hassle. And um, and then as the uh, then as you know the weeks turned into months, I'm like, oh oh no no I can't cancel all these gigs. <laughs> exactly. I wanted I wanted to do some of them, so the anxiety crept in. But I I was writing a book. I was already uh, commissioned to write a book, so I used the time to do that. And uh, I have a little escape here in my beautiful office, which looks like a giant bed that I'm under. I. Uh, <laughs> As, as, as my friend Diana Francis, who is, uh, does a great great writing stuff that we work on together, she goes, your, your office is uh, close enough that you could hear your children's screams, but far enough away to pretend that you can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's well the put. perfect location. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that deal. Uh, I think Coldplay have something like that where they have a, they call it the bakery where it's their studio. And I think it's just a stone's throw from a couple of their houses and they just kind of wander down the street and into the studio and that's kind of headquarters and I, th I think yeah. you get to a certain age maybe I don't even know if you need to be in entertainment I think everyone needs a headquarters. <laughs> 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 I mean I mean you and I both know at least one person in Nova Scotia that's turned their shed into a tiki bar and it's the best known that's the best hangout thing. in the world yeah that's yeah, a real yeah. thing and as a guy I know in Kentucky who's actually got a barn converted into a full-on honky-tonk bar 
So yeah. it's just a place where he has his buddies over. They have a full stage with lighting and, and dry ice machines. <laughs> it's Hilarious. like a bar. He's gone around and collected all this old memorabilia from different bars and pawn shops and stuff like That's Miller Lights, a Miller Light neon sign and all this kind of craziness. And when you walk in there, you're like, oh, I'm in a, I'm in a honky tonk bar. And that's his place to just go and jam with his buddies and just whatever. I'm like, this puts all man caves to shame. This is not yeah, even. It's a, it's a way better use for a garden shed than gardening <laughs> instruments and tools. It's, but I, I actually found out that they, a person moved in next door to the one in Halifax I'm referring to, didn't know that it was there. Just, you know, one morning saw 15 people meander out at 4 a.m. like, what the hell is happening? Did someone break into the house? No, no, that's there. That's a fully, fully, fully functioning bar. <laughs> yeah, that's so East Coast too, right? Like, yeah, I'm just going to set up my own bar in the backyard. That should be fine, right? What do you mean, permit? I don't know what you're talking about. I've got the oh. space. I, I have friends. I'd like to. It's a, it's a fine line between <laughs> between business and social gathering. Oh, it's a great it's a great use of a shed. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I wanted to, because I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this. I want to talk to about talk to you about when you started stand up and how you found your way to the stage. Because I find with comedians in general, all the stories are very very different. Some folks different, start yeah. later in life. Um, what was your introduction into stand up? What what was the scene? What were you into in life? What was that transition like? Uh, well, for me, it was um, sort of accidental, a little bit. I was at york university i was in uh pre-law as they called it because osgood i'd already gone to osgood <laughs> and uh, they said these are the courses you take to go to osgood so i, I mean i could have gone to different universities but like if you want to start your law career law education earlier than law school come here take these courses and you know so i was doing pre-law and uh early on realized, I don't think I want to do this. Like I just in hanging out and reading a lot of the law texts, seeing, <laughs> seeing the people that were going into it. I'm like, I don't think I want to do this. So, um, you know, wandered down to amateur. Well, I, I didn't, it was very accidental because I was always joking around with friends and then eventually went down to yuck yucks to, to kind of check it out, to see what live stand up. I'd been to shows, but like to see maybe, oh, you know, should I try this? And my friends had actually signed me up already. So my first stand-up set was just someone calling my name, me going like. <laughs> There's another Steve Ferris. Got it. I mean, there is another Steve Ferris, but I'm like, but I'm like, that's good. I can't wait to see this guy. And it was, it was me. So I went up and did a set. I, you know, thank God there wasn't cell phones to tape it at the time or anything. Cause I, I just talked off the top of my head for seven minutes or probably longer because you know what's that light for no one had told me anything and then um then meandered off and then the you know the manager was like that was great you should come back I'm like, oh that's that's nice i mean i didn't expect to be here this time so that's how i got into it it's like somebody it's like somebody uh put your resume in for a job application and one day you get a phone call like yeah this is uh, building supplies and you're like i didn't apply for a job at building supplies well you start monday so come on that's right it's true i'll give, I'll give it a shot all right <laughs> i've got work boots so i guess they show up at seven <laughs> yep that's right so show up. Give me the hammer. I'll give it a shot. By the way, I, for, I forgot to, uh, this, um, this podcast, my, my appearance obviously is sponsored by Jackhammer, uh, Jackhammer <laughs> beer. Uh, if everything else is off, get some Jackhammer, you wussy. <laughs> well, that's, I think that's the commercial they're shooting above me right now. As they're doing it, they're doing a Jackhammer, Jackhammer advertising. Jackhammer like, 
jackhammer. When your life's not going the way you want it, you need to take out your aggression on something just just an- inanimate. Jackhammer beard. <laughs> jackhammer. When you want to see the guy's apartment below. <laughs> Well, he didn't ask for a skylight, but damn it, he's going to get one. He's going to get one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. What I thought was amazing, too, about your story, because I I, I mean, I'm sure you have friends as well who... No, I don't, really. Not anymore. I thought that's why you have... kids. (laughs) Say goodbye to those. Yeah. Uh, But I have friends of mine. One of the greatest compliments I ever got was from an old friend back in Newfoundland. I went back to do a show and... I will say this was uh, liquor-induced when he did say this to me, but uh, I still think it's on the record and it should be noted. But he said, uh, he goes, dude, he goes, of all of our friends, you're the one guy who's doing what he was meant to do and supposed to do. And this was a guy that was, you know, successful and, you know, married kids and all that stuff. He goes, yeah, not that I hate my life. He's just like, I never followed that thing that I wanted, like, drink professionally, you know, to follow that thing. And I look at you with pre-law and looking in that world, a lot of folks would have just continued down that road. Like, well, man, I've already started this journey and there's some money I already kind of spent. And and I think a lot of folks do that, right? Without that kind of course correction of like, I don't think I'm happy doing this thing and I'm going to go follow it. So that's what I thought was amazing about what you just said. Well, thanks, buddy. I mean, my dad had a, a, you know, a different reaction. When I told him I was not going to do law school, <laughs> I was going to do some stand-up. But uh, I like your take better, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> well, it is. You know, you realize it, it. Like, I think about it now. We're in it, and we, you know, we're, we have our kind of a singular focus going after this thing. But you got to imagine, for the people on the outside, it, it is an insane thing to say to someone. Like, I'm going to give up. Uh, like my job was at Boys and Girls Club, so it was nonprofit. I oh wow! Like, yeah, I didn't was, know that. Yeah, I, I love working, Boys and Girls Club. Yeah, I was working with kids and and uh, you know nonprofit. You're not making much money, but I was when I realized like I'm going to leave this steady job, employment, and RSP contributions and all this stuff, and I'm going to go off and tell jokes in Bonnyville, Alberta, for money, and <laughs> that'll be the rest of my life. Like it is an insane thing to say to someone, and because it's not like the path is laid out for you and here's a guaranteed income. It's like, no, you're going to have right. to scrape every single month to try and figure this out. And now I look back on it and I go, would this guy now, me, be able to do that back then? And I'm like, I don't think I, this guy would be able to do it now. Like I would no. like, oh, whoa. It's a good point. I think that one of the first things I did in stand-up, I did a, you know, I did a, a set that got me, uh, you know, notice from an Irish booking agent because I was doing some Irish family background material, and they said, "Come on over to Ireland, and you know, I'll set you up with some gigs." Uh, and so I, I did that with like, not even doing any math of any sort on it. Like I, I was just like, I don't know if I literally have enough money <laughs> to book the trip to go there to stay. Like the accommodations would be covered a bit, but not totally, right? And then you're like. And then I didn't factor in just sitting in a pub drinking Guinness for hours at a time, which is what I did for a lot of the day. So there, there was a point on that trip where I had to like find a gig to, to get home. And, uh, and that was, that was like, for me when doing that, I'm like, that was, it was a wake up call of like, this is the kind of life you've chosen. Uh, if you make it home from this trip, you can keep living your life this way. If, if not, You've really got some some thinking to do. Like who 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 comes to a different continent not knowing if they can get home, 
you know, just thinking it'll work out with doing some jokey jokes. Yeah, it's like such a blind faith act, right? Of I guess it'll I'll figure it out and I'll find the money and the gig and uh, it'll be fine. I remember doing the math once on a gig. It wasn't right away, Steve. I wasn't that smart to do the math early <laughs> in my career. But I remember yeah. sitting down maybe in year three or something doing my taxes and I started looking at like, well, that's what I brought in and and this is what I've spent. <laughs> I don't think I've made any money at all. All I knew was I was getting checks from a, a comedy club booker. And so clearly I'm making money like in my mind. But then when I put it all down on paper, you're right. Like you don't put in expenses for Guinness. Yeah, it wasn't in the calculation yeah. or chicken yeah. wings at 3 a.m. in the morning at a, <laughs> at a pub, you know. And I realized like I'm not a good businessman at all. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, it's it's funny that the people that are the smartest business-wise when they start out are not the best media. It just it seems to be that way. It's very rare that someone that's got it all together is also really funny on stage. It's often, that person's really funny, but boy, they better find some management soon because they're not yeah. going to make it. Um, yeah. They're just not going to physically make it out. So it is, uh, it's a weird thing. And you're right, you know, to look back at it now, would I do it this way again? Uh, uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I've, I'm fortunate to have grabbed one of the very few ongoing comedy gigs in Canada. You know, you and I both. Yeah. There's not not many ongoing comedy gigs in Canada that help lead to other gigs as well. You've always hustled them, man. You've always produced your own tours and things, and that's incredibly smart. Most comics don't think of that. They're like, oh, I deserve to do theaters. I'll just wait for the calls to come from the theaters. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. The theaters don't go out seeking someone to do a show like that. You know, they, yeah. uh, you got to put the hustle in at all times. And I'm, I still have to put the hustle in because I had kids late. So <laughs> that's right. Go, go, go. Um, I think you're right. I realized early, and I'm sure you did too, that it wasn't about talent. Like you can be as funny as you want to be, but if you're just stuck on the circuit, it's like nothing changes for you. And then eventually the emails stop coming and the phone calls stop coming and there's no more gigs and they dry up and you've got to drift into the real world again at what God knows what age with yeah. a gap in your resume of 20 years <laughs> giving your opinion gap. to people, you know? And that terrified me. And I, I remember looking at that early on and I, I got scared to death. Like I was like, this could, if I don't make a plan here or make a move in some way, shape or form, did you have the same thing? Did you have at some point like have a realization of like, I gotta, I gotta step out of this. I gotta, I gotta move and try and get some security and stability somehow. I don't know if I ever had a moment like that. I pretty early on realized that uh, corporates paid a lot more money than clubs. So yes. I found, found a way to do those corporates in a way that, uh, and I don't know if you're James Cunningham, uh he's man he's the epitome of of corporate comedy hustle and uh he taught me a lot um because he started kind of just before i did and while most comics will complain about the christmas party corporate and you know god these people don't even want this show why am i here god like if you don't want to do those shows don't do them but then realize you're going to make a tenth of your income because you're going to have to do five shows at a club to make one, one half of the income or something like it's, yeah. if you would sit down and do that math, you know, and also they can be great writing exercises. They can be like, Oh, this is a new situation. It's a new company. I'm going to write a bunch of jokes about this industry now. And it keeps your, your, your brain writing. And then the comics that, you know, think that a corporate is just, Oh, I just put on a suit. 
<laughs> and do and do my club that. set. Yeah, it obviously but, doesn't but I, work. But I but I was in a suit. I don't understand what they're complaining about. <laughs> no, well, it was the the words you. But I I I. I Bored a suit from my brother, and I showed up on time, and I was not hammered in no way, shape, or form. I don't understand why I'm not getting paid. Yeah, yeah. I made a couple ladies from accounting cry, and obviously, they they weren't into all the fisting material. But I thought <laughs> this company was ready to make a jump. Um, they said they were a fun group, and you know what? That was a lie off the top. <laughs> so, for me, finding that like finding that challenge and being like, uh, if I go do a gig, this could turn into a recurring gig. Like always right. thinking that way, right? Like, uh, you know, if, if I go to do a show for a group, I'm gonna be like, I wanna do three of these shows. I wanna do the next three years for this group. And then I'm gonna make sure I can recommend someone to this group that, that right. would be good. So I don't wanna, I wanna repeat gig and I also don't wanna lose the gig for future comedians, which yeah. most comedians don't think about, but that's, that's really what you should be thinking about doing those gigs and right now look it's like everything those those gigs are tough to come by now with everything that's going on but at the same time you know people know me to do those things and i'm finding a way to do them a little bit different i'm hosting the uh the london music awards i've pre-taped everything for london ontario my old hometown nice. and they're going to be they're going to be over the course of four nights online this week and i I went and did a show just for them and I went down to London and did it. And, you know, they're like, well, it was supposed to be in front of 1500 people. And they're like, well, now we've got our 10 sponsors that are going to be there wearing masks in, nice. in a small room. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's still, it's still better than nothing. It's still better than yeah. just to a, just to a computer, you know? So uh, that jackhammer ads really going on. Eh? Jackhammer. Yeah, jackhammer. Never sponsor. give up. <laughs> Never give up. Jacker, Jack Hammer refused to be silenced. Our latest vlogger, loudness—it's <laughs> just a can shaking the whole time. Yeah, they're really going for it up there, and I—I I do appreciate it. Um, no, I, I think it's interesting that you had that that vision early, and I think I realized the same thing because I go, "What if I got to go back to the real world?" And I, if I don't make the right decisions now in terms of securing those gigs, corporate's the same thing. Like, how do I? go in and do those. And once I saw the difference between working in one nighter or a club and seeing what the money was for a corporate, I'm like, oh, I, I can develop a full 45 minutes or an hour of clean material. And, uh, but it was just that, that quick realization. But I feel like sometimes comedians were strange creatures, like people, like I was gonna say to you about the writing, at first I resisted that because I was like, well, I wanna talk about what I wanna talk about and I'm an artist and all that stuff. But then I realized like sometimes framework and parameters are good because they force you to stay in a certain box and can you find the funny within these four corners? And so I was like, okay, well that's a challenge now. And I think like you, I kind of felt I needed to embrace that. And it was a good exercise to try and figure out, all right, 12 o'clock noon, banquet tables, lights on, horrible sound, maybe a podium. Um, how am I going to make these people laugh? A guy in the, several people in the front row who I'm performing behind them and they're just on their phones the whole time. Yeah, whole time, yeah. Yeah, okay, well, there's that. Um, so, you know, I, I, that challenge, if you can make those people laugh going into a club then just felt way easier. It was like going to the gym. For sure, and it's also, um, as you said, it's like a good, it's a good challenge to do and it keeps your brain working of like, oh, this is now I have to write for this. It's always helpful to to write for different things that you wouldn't have normally, you know, because otherwise 
if it's all up to you and sure there's a handful of comedians that are able to kind of go around and just say whatever they want and uh, the people people love it and lap it up and good good for them but like i you know i uh i like the challenge of writing within a within a bit of a of a framework and finding the the uh the funny in it you know like i think that there's so many old school standups and uh you know not as many anymore but we're in a time where you have to adapt the whole industry, the whole world is adapting right mm -hmm. now. And if you're an old school standup that refuses to adapt to any change, you're, you're just not going to, you're, you're, of course you're going to get left completely behind. You know, I, I do singing in my comedy a lot. And a lot of, a lot of the guys that started before me were like, I don't like that singing. I'm like, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> you're not, you're not paying for it, you know, <laughs> so right. I, I'm not trying to entertain you. Yeah. Uh, and by all means, keep up that cutting edge blowjob joke you've been doing for 15 years. <laughs> you guys remember Ronald Reagan? That guy, huh? <laughs> this guy doesn't have talking about. Like, okay, we're dusting that off. That's what I found with the uh, introduction of uh, YouTube and Netflix was that now comedians can just hold on to old jokes. You can always find a segue, you know, through through those channels. You know, the, I was going through YouTube the other day and I stumbled on an old video of uh, Jean Chrétien. You remember that guy? And then people would, you're like, okay, we, we found an interesting way into that old yeah. bit you did back in Interesting way. It's an interesting way in for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but you're right. It's um, it's 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 about it's about adapt you adapt or you or you just get run over i think in this day and age with not just our profession but any profession how many years now for you as host of the debaters we uh we'll be going into our 15th season of the show but it was uh hosted for the first season by your friend and mine sean majumder mm -hmm. and then he couldn't do it anymore because he had to do successful things in california poor fella uh, yeah. yeah um tough so, so he uh so they auditioned a few people, um, guest hosts, and then I did my first one in 2007, and I've been doing it since then. So that's, coming up on on 13 years now. That's insane. It's amazing because I've done a bunch of debaters with you, and and uh, it's a like that's a long day, and your preparation, your ability to kind of step in when you know things might fall a little flat, and it's kind of your job to, to come in and, and spruce it up in some way and save it, throw us the rope, as I like to say. Uh, Steve, uh, <laughs> Steve, you're just going to sit there in the boat while I while I take in water? <laughs> I'm throwing me a little, uh, little donut there. That'd be fantastic, uh, which you've done on several occasions. Also, as I wave to a crowd that's non-existent up to I enjoy right. that. I do enjoy the, yeah, this, the congratulations from the hypothetical crowd. It's always <laughs> on, a, a on radio, on radio of all things, where people just have hey. a physical act out on radio. Yeah, but you know, the, but there's a theater full of people there, you know, there, or there <laughs> right. were in the before times. You have to entertain <laughs> Way them. back in the day. <laughs> yeah. So like, that's it, you know, people would, you know, again, comics would come on and they'd be like, why are you wearing a suit for a radio show? I'm like, well, the people in the theater are here. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. They can see what I have on. So yeah, I just and I'm going to be, I'm going to be up here for three hours. Like everyone else is coming up and leaving in 20 minutes. I guess you can do what you want, but I'm going to, do they want to look at a guy <laughs> In a in a hoodie, like lounging on his couch for three hours. <laughs> it's so true. How did that evolve for you? Like, did you feel like you had to grow into that role? Like, because obviously you must have done well on your first show, and 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 uh, and of course they bring you back, and you've you've owned it now ever since. But 
did you feel like going from the stand up, standing up, delivering your stuff, corporate club, whatever, and now you're sitting down at a desk, you've got to moderate these two people, you're running, there's, there's a lot of production stuff going on. Like, did you have to gradually find your way into that? And was it a tough transition for you? Um, it wasn't that tough because it was, it's working with standups, right? It's, it's as close as standup gets this format to comics just riffing off each other. It just happens to be on stage. So I don't think they could have a non-comedian host that show. Like, I'm glad that they didn't have the show and then go, we're going to get, uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to get one of our fill-in hosts to host this comedy show because it just wouldn't really work. You know, comedians know comedians. And uh, I love it because you get to work with two other comics on, on stage. There's no other opportunity for that, for stand-ups, you know, and, and the bare knuckle is, is I think what kind of separates a lot of the stand-ups that are great stand-ups, but don't quite get this format because they're essentially, we're saying, here's your chance to heckle each other on stage. <laughs> so you're going to get, you're going to get heckled by one of your own. So see what you can do. And that's not every stand-up can or wants to do that. So I, I, I mean, I love it for that. For sure, yeah. It's amazing too. Once when I first started doing the debaters, and I don't know how many I've done at this point, but it's amazing after shows how many people will come up to me at a different, you know, my own show kind of thing and go, "Yeah, I heard you on the debaters. I heard you on the debaters." Because you know, with radio, you kind of feel like you do these things and you move on to the next gig and whatever. And you're like, "Does anyone hear it?" You know, you just don't know. I don't. I don't keep track of it or whatever. But I found over the years, more and more people were coming to shows, going like, "Oh my God, loved you on the debaters. Loved you on the debaters." So it's really felt like it's it's etched its way into people's brains now over a long period of time. And that's a long running show, you know, to have in this day and age on any medium, whether it's radio, television, that's a long show, uh, lifeline for, but it's, it's, it's in people's psyches now in Canada for sure. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. And now with the podcast, podcast <laughs> versions, it's, uh, getting, getting further reach, getting international reach. Cause really it was just Canada before. So, it's um you know i'm really uh, fortunate to have that that gig because it's a true comedy it's a true stand-up gig even though i happen to be sitting down write that down put that in the notes <laughs> in the jackhammer recordings of um it's uh it's are you missing stand-up at all because i've talked to some comedians who are like nah i don't mind the break it's good other people are saying it's their therapy and like without it they're lost where do you fall with not having that interaction with a live audience back and forth are you itching for that where are you yeah i'm i'm uh somewhere in between i guess i, I don't think i'll die without it but i really <laughs> i do really miss it um do i miss it enough to do a show for honking cars not quite yet uh <laughs> not that to that degree but um what do the wipers you know? mean when they turn the wipers on what does that mean <laughs> next next is that what that means just kidding we're wiping you all of our i gotta get i gotta get the you know oh the right indicator that one was too far right the left is too far left <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know you know, when I they know. Hit the um, wash, when they hit the windshield washer, that was too dirty. That's, they're crying. They're yeah. laughing, crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone I said mean, they were doing one, and I was like, "Really? You're, you're gonna just go up and do it in front of the cars?" They're like, "Yeah, no, it's gonna be good to get back on stage." I'm like, "I don't think you're getting back on stage as you know it." Right. Well, and I don't know if you talked to them 
after I've only talked to one comic who said, Oh, it was different, but it was, it was fun. I think you have to go in with very low expectations to really enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's uh it's a different thing. The other thing too, as my comedy career evolved, I was a real purist when I first started. I was like, I'm going to be a comedian. And that's what I do when I don't get these people passing out business cards with comedian slash actor slash writer. I used to really get annoyed. Like, what's this guy? What is he? What is he? The Swiss Army knife of entertainment? And then, as you said, I think as you get into it longer, you realize there are other opportunities out there that you can fit yourself into. And, and diversification is not a bad thing. It's nice to be able to take time off of stand-up and then just you know, focus on your debater stuff or, you know, you go back to, to writing a book. Like, how did you approach that? Did you, were you just purely stand up for the longest time and then eventually started to kind of widen the lens a little bit to see what other opportunities were out there? I mean, I've always kind of kept a hand in the writing game. Uh, I wrote ads when I started. I wrote ads for a while, actually, and was still doing that when I was touring, doing stand up. For one thing, it was great money, actually. I could take a flight be get paid 75 bucks an hour as a freelance copywriter and you know land and have made money on it and i do i do still i've always liked writing and i know all stand-ups have to write their own stuff but it's you yeah. know it's a different thing right it's uh, the written page is different than the, than the live stand-up so Definitely. always kept a hand in that game and i admire people that go on like i think a lot of people get more and more into production which is an important thing to do these days yeah. podcasts you know whatever whatever you're doing you can really control your own thing and kind of pilot things around the way that you want them. So I, I, I'm, I'm on the fence. I, I remember the great uh, Mitch Hedberg line about, about stand up and acting, right? He's like, when you do stand up, everyone, everyone thinks you should also act. It's like being a great chef and people are like, cool, cool. Do you also farm? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's something to be said for, for a stand up that's, a great stand-up and that's it. But stand-up lends itself to a lot of other things. Well, I think one of the things I thought about was this concept of always waiting to be chosen. So I felt like, I remember going to auditions as an actor and going into the audition feeling like, I don't really need this because I have a stand-up that I can just go to. And I saw actors outside the audition room, like just mad panic. And they're like, they, their life depended on getting this gig. And quite often I would end up getting the gig because I think part of it was just energy of like, I don't need to be here and yeah. I'm just going to make this decision and go for it. And then I'd get a call back the next day like, yeah, we think you're, you'd be perfect for this thing. And it doesn't, I don't think it, it's like, oh, because that's a nod to just who I am and my talent at all. I think it was just more mentality of it's a different thing when you're not clutching it so tight. And when you have that diversification ability, it's like you... You know, if this thing falls and you can also, you know, position yourself and go to something else. There's something to be said for that, I think, in life in general. I think you're, I think you're totally right. And by, this was your penis, right? You're clutching this. This is, yeah. That tight. Yeah. I like to two. go up this way like this. That's a big one. That way. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> one elbow up. Yeah. Yeah. I go like this. <laughs> I always keep my, I always keep my eye on a ball. I always keep my eye on a ball. <laughs> Just one. Just one. I won't tell you which one, but I always, <laughs> you never know. It could sneak up on you. <laughs> but, uh, not at my age Trent not at my age they sneak down <laughs> they sneak down on you I've never heard that phrase before oh watch out it'll sneak down on you it'll sneak down on you just uh, like a good cool jackhammer like a cool jackhammer in the middle of a September day just, you even see that just written the word jackhammer <laughs> 
Those we, laugh, we, laugh, we laugh so hard at that backstage. One of, that's one of the great things of being a comic, and no one ever sees it. It's just comics sitting around, whether it's backstage, whether it's at a bar, at a festival. That's some of the greatest moments of my life have been just sitting around with comedians, telling old war stories, um, past memories together, or them telling their worst gig ever, or you know, just an amazing story. Like You realize how incredible of a profession this is when you're in that bubble and no one else can understand what you're going through except those people at that table. It is really neat. And the other thing that I find really cool about the stand-up industry as it were, even though it's, you know, arguably not an industry in Canada, we're trying, we're trying, we're trying, trying God damn trying it. Um, you know, when, when I would go back and forth to the UK quite a bit or to Australia, and I, I haven't done a lot of stuff in the States, but I've talked to, you know, a lot of comedians that go down is there's, there's for some reason, the comedian doppelganger of the comedians, you know, back home, everywhere you go, like yeah, there's, right. a, you know, there's the, there's the British Derek Edwards, there's the uh, American, you know, Dave Hempstead or whatever. There's, yeah. it's so weird to me that you can talk to someone and you immediately, not only just they know comedian sensibilities, but you're like, oh, this is that comedian back home. Now I know how to now I know how to talk to them, right? Yes, it's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just plug and play, right? It's like, oh yeah, I know a you. I know a you yeah. back in Canada. I know, I know a you. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a John. There's a John in Ireland. That's John Steinberg. It's the different John, but yeah. it's John Steinberg. Yeah, I know exactly how to communicate. Um, yeah. With, it's with marijuana. Yeah. It's with that. That's how you. That's how he understands what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm gonna put this smoke into your nostrils, and you'll understand <laughs> what I'm feeling. Um, uh, I. Uh... Uh... <laughs> and then you look at like I remember one time. I think it was Halifax Fest, and it was uh, might have been Derek Edwards and and Mike Wilmot sitting at a table, and they were telling these stories about besides camping. They were also telling stories about gigs they did for the mob back in the day and how and I'm just sitting there in awe and I, I'm so thankful that I was aware enough to go trend no one needs to hear your shitty story just, right no, now just listen I mean? in yeah. yeah right you know what I mean when you're just watching two to me two giants of of the industry trade those things it's like it's upon us as an audience to not mess this up you know with someone like well anyway let me cut you off there Derek one time I was in Lethbridge and it's like the whole thing would just disintegrate and I've seen comics try to do that like younger comics like well that was like the time no no it's not not like the time well and I mean now they're doing it online right I, uh you know I um once at least once a week I will start to read a comedian's think piece and I'm like why have I not heard of this comedian oh it's because they've not really ever done comedy but that this <laughs> argument about what's wrong with the industry yes yes <laughs> is longer than their total amount mm. of stage time so yes um that's Look, I'm not saying that things don't have to change and should be improved. That's great. But like, it is amazing the complaints that uh, some young comedians come into the industry with. And again, I'm all for making it better and forging your own thing. But uh, I, I, it is, I, wish, I do wish that people would listen to the people that have been doing it for a little while, uh, you know, a little bit more. But that's uh, the attention span of today. You know, I, like when you're on a, if you, I don't do a lot of, multi-comic shows but anymore but like if you're on like a show with eight comics and a open mic or whatever no one's sticking around anymore they're all right. uh, you know and it's a difference between hustling from gig to gig which is good and actually 
you know, sitting around to support the industry and learning what you can from others at the at the night you're at. So, exactly, strange yeah. to me. Well, it's funny when I first started, I remember you know having to race to a comedy club an hour and change before the actual show started to try and get a guest spot somewhere because I knew if I got in there later than that, there would already be seven, eight comics already asking the manager to if they can get a guest spot. So I had to kind of get there as early as I could to see if I could even have a shot. And now I go to comedy clubs and it's like, unless someone's scheduled on the show, people are like, yeah, like there's no other comics hanging around. Clubs often are given a guest spot like, hey, can you do 15 now instead of like, you know, when you normally would only get five. I remember getting five yeah. minutes as a guest spot, you know, because there's a bunch of comics behind you. And I don't know if that's a sense of entitlement. And I don't know if it's just indicative of society in general of, you know, I don't want to go sit in that and wait for something and try and earn it. I'd rather just someone hand it to me and let me know that I'm going to have it. And we were hungry, man. I'm sure it was the same way when you started. Like it was if you didn't have that hunger, I mean, you weren't you weren't going to make it. No. No, and, and uh, you, you know, I, I look at the people that still have all the hustle all these years in. I was just thinking the other day, Kelly Taylor, you know, <laughs> sent something out and he's doing his own shows on his property in Saskatchewan and bringing other comics in. And that guy, I don't know how many shows a year he does. I know. But but he he hustles his ass off and he's really funny uh, and he still hustles and he's just, that's, that's one example. You know, there's other people that do it, but yeah, it's, it, there's not really an end to that you know it's um whatever you're doing you, you do have to hustle and even if it's not always doing stand-up gigs anymore it's you know using the momentum of what you've done to to keep going and it just yeah it's it shuts down pretty pretty quickly i think it was you and i at a debaters taping that we're discussing one day the calls just stop coming like you have to realize at some point you've got to make the calls you don't just <laughs> receive the calls yeah yeah is my phone working? Because <laughs> oh, it's maybe it's not plugged in. No, it's plugged in. It's, it's plugged in. Nope. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, just calling around. Did you call me earlier this week? That's right. No. Okay. Well, I'm just that's, checking. That's weird. I guess they haven't done the Just for Last Festival in six years. <laughs> I thought it was annual. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, sitting around waiting for your call. Just dust building up on the shoulders at the top of that. Um, when you went into the book world. Um, was that something you wanted to do for a long time to, to be an author? When did that get on your radar? Kind of, kind of a funny story, Trent. All right. Um, we got time for it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, had started to do letters during my standup. Really? The reason I did that device was because it was a writing technique. And when I do my standup, I like to freeform so much that I would often not get to the end of a joke because, I would just bounce around and forget to end it. So the letters were a way of being like, I will get to the end of this because it's written on the page. I have to get to the part where I say, yours truly, Steve. So, um, so I started to do that. And however the word got around, there was a literary agent in the audience one night. And he said, I, I, we, think you're, we think you should do a book of letters. And uh, I said, well, that's, that's great. I don't know how to, you know, I've never thought about that, but how many do I need and what, what, you know? And so he helped shop it around and not every, uh, you know, certainly the publisher that bit was a smaller publisher in the Maritimes, actually Goose Lane editions. And they were like, yeah, we would love to do that. And it was a great exercise. And then from that, now um, this next book is about, you know, more about dadding and it's not a, it's not letters. <laughs> it's not all letters. It's uh, you know, more, it's just more of stories, but um, again, it's, it's a great, the writing is a, 
bit of a different too. it's enough different from stand-up that it's but it's still related that it, it's very complimentary you know to the stand-up and in fact my letters are often part of my stand-up it's just how i've written them so the audio book is actually my my perfect hybrid because it's me reading my book and that's uh when right. people read it they're like we hear you reading it i'm like you know how you could hear me reading it by the audio book <laughs> it could actually hear me reading it's a, it. it's right it's a double <laughs> yeah it sells itself yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I remember you doing those letters on stage and, and like uh, what I loved about it, it was uh, it adds such a dynamic portion to your act, you know, because you're doing you'd be doing some songs and you do just some straight traditional stand up and then it was letters. And so it was kind of almost these three or four different acts all combined into one. And you're right, it would make sense to just take that one thing and just let's let's just put this in a hardcover now and make this as a, you know, convert it into a book, you know, um, for your book writing process as an author, do you, is it a laborious thing or is this something that you kind of just get in this flow and stuff starts coming out or is it a bit of both? Like, what does it, what does it look like for you? Well, first Trent, I think the word you're looking for is laborious. Oh, laborious. <laughs> I'm sorry, what a that's, shithead. What that's, a, no, that's what, a, that's what a writer has to do in an interview. No, I believe the word you're really thinking of is <laughs> jackhammer. Look, will you, will you or will you not give me money to start my jackhammer company? <laughs> I shan't. I shan't. And I he shan't, shan't not. He I shan't his pants. <laughs> we shan't at each, each other. <laughs> uh, now I've forgotten the question, but I think it was about writing. Um, oh yeah, like just if you if it's if it's an uphill slog for you, or is it something that you kind of just get in the get in the zone and go? The two different ones that I've done so far are very different kinds of books and different kinds of challenges, and and I still have not done a novel, which is a whole different thing. But I think that if you're doing it right not unlike stand-up you're so immersed in it that you would be insufferable to be around and you can't be interrupted so yeah um that's why i have this room is to come to and write because you know yeah you're not in you're not in reality when you're you're, you're in a different reality the funny thing about the ironic thing about this book dad up is it's all about dadding so but i had to take hours off of actively dadding to write it so <laughs> the irony is not the irony is not lost like i would write it at night while they were sleeping because I'd have to get up early the next day. But then eventually, as deadlines loomed, I'm like, I'd have to take big chunks out of the day and poor Nance would just be home with the kids. And I'm like, daddy's got to work. And basically I'm going to write about you, but I can't have you in the room because you're too distracting when I'm writing about you. Um, the and, and with the, the book of letters took a while because I would take like 25 topics, literally, I don't know. I don't know what made me do it. I would take 25 random topics I'd write down throw them on the floor and then pick it up and write about a few different topics in a day. But the, the challenge of the book of letters is that every page is self-contained. So it's, right. so instead of writing one story, you're writing a hundred little stories really. And it would just take, it would take a while, just, just like a standup, like, you know, your best jokes become not your best after a while. And so it was, it was like constructing a comedy set in that right. way. And each thing lives by itself. And now, these stories are a little longer and I could only imagine <laughs> what a, what a novel takes because you got to be like, Oh, this can't happen. Cause in page 32, this happened. It, that'd be weird. Yeah. Well, it's amazing when I look at musicians, when they make an album, I've heard musicians say that they don't actually make an album. They just abandon it. <laughs> That's funny. That's you know funny. I mean? Cause you, you just get so tired of looking at this thing and making changes and, 
taking out the base and putting in more snare and it's just like for the love of god and i guess sometimes you need those deadlines just to launch it just to go look get it yeah. out of here that's got to be done by monday so we're, we're done with it and maybe i don't know if you can if you can relate to that with with putting a book out in the world oh a thousand percent if i didn't have it's uh penguin random canada that's doing this one and if i didn't have a really understanding editor assigned to me who is you know is on me, but is also don't do anything you're not comfortable with, but also we need this by Monday. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't get done. And, and, you know, because we wanted it to be a longer book, I had to expand on things that I didn't really want to expand on. I can stand up set. You're like, yeah, we got it done and done and dusted. That's the joke. <laughs> but but the, you know, when you're writing it out, they're like, actually, could we hear all about the middle of that part? Uh, right. and then, and then get to the payoff instead of just set up payoff. So that was um, a challenge to kind of expand on things that I didn't really want to expand on at the beginning. But in the end, it was, there was, there's whole sections of the book. I don't know why I'm pointing back here. It is behind me, the sections that, but. Um, <laughs> just a small cat typing. <laughs> what was that, Steve? Hey, mittens, you shut mittens. <laughs> shut your cat mouth. Just totally back there, <laughs> pawing away. One more chapter. Then <laughs> um, <Bend> some milk. <laughs> <laughs> Co-authored by Mittens. Co-authored by Mittens. Um, yeah, it. You know, it. I really respect writers who churn these things out <laughs> yeah, yeah. constantly because this took from the time we signed on to the time it's you know it's available for pre-sale now i'm still actually i get to tweak it for a couple more weeks and then it then it's done but um it took three years and most of that was because you know we had another baby in the midst of that and i'm like well i better address this in the book otherwise you just have to shut this down and start another book on the other so yeah. because the baby was born was like let's take another year um which the publisher was very understanding about and uh but it's man, what, yeah, to get into it, to get the right amount of intensity that it's going to be good, that you're going to like it, takes a long, long time, and it's very like stand up that way. And someone asked me like, "What's it? Uh, you know, how was it like the stand up process?" And I like said, "Well, when someone asks you how much time you have when you start doing comedy, it's just however much time you've done on stage. That's all you have. You're like, right. I have five minutes, and then as your standards for yourself go up." your time goes down because you're like, I'm actually, actually, I think I have one minute now of like that I like. And that's what it was like with the book. Like I had, like I probably wrote a thousand pages to get 300 pages that I, that I like, but you know, people are like, that doesn't seem very efficient. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like if, if you can write just 300 words and those are the 300 words you want, imagine how much better you could have done if you wrote more. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, I would imagine too to collaborate with someone else is a bit of a challenge, right? Because before, like, stand up is so solitary and yeah. deliver it the way you want to do it and the pace you want to do it and the topics you want to talk about. And then having someone come back in, look at your life and go, I'd like more on this or less <laughs> this. And it, it does, did, did, uh, did the stand up ego kick in at any time where you're kind of like, listen here, I, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Who and, are and you, editor? Editor, oh, Mr. Editor. Ooh, and what does that mean? 
I'll be editing. Mm, yeah. Go on. Yeah. yeah. Unpack that. I'd like you to unpack a little bit more, but you're editing. <laughs> the term unpack is certainly one of my least favorites in the world. Oh, Let's dude. unpack this. Let's That's unpack like, this. I love, I love the term. I love what they say. Um, but we'll unpack that a little later. And I'm like, did he now give some stupid? Yeah. So I'm totally yeah. with you. But And uh, then they never do. They never do get they back. They never unpack them. it. They never go back and unpack it. Uh, with Scott is my editor's name. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he, you know, there would be things where he would write. It's, it was it, like he would send back the hard copy of things. And he'd be like, don't let all the sticky notes worry you. And there would be a thousand sticky. I'd be like, did he? <laughs> It would, it would be easier to just circle the words he did like. Um, <laughs> but but then I would go through and he would just have little suggestions for things. And uh, yeah, at first I was like, well, I wrote it the way I wanted it to and it's my life, so uh, screw you. And then and then uh, we you know we really got to talking about when you're a stand-up and when you are there to sell it with your timing, with your performance. Those are other tools that we don't have on the written right. page. Right. They just have the book in front of them. And while we hope that most people that get the book know you, we also hope some people that don't will buy the book. <laughs> yes. So that's why you've got to be clear. I'm like, fair, fair enough, you know? And uh, so that's, that's eventually I was like, yeah, these are good suggestions and, uh, and I'll try to address all of them. And then if there was one that I really, really felt like, no, this is how I want it you'll be okay. That's we'll, we'll do it that way. But, um, it is tough, man. It's tough. It would be like, it would be like, you know, it's like when people make suggestions about your comedy right. <laughs> that are, but you're, even though this person is an editor and a professional editor and has been doing it for a while, you're like, I don't know. I think I wrote it better. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Well, that's like when you've ever had to submit to a festival, you know, like you're, you're set yeah. and you submit it in and they give you notes back on it. And sometimes I'm like, no, no, I, I've been doing that for six months and it works as is, works. But, they, but they don't get the performance part of it. They just read the words on the page. Yes. And so I'd always see the reverse of what you're talking about, where they would say, no, I, I don't know how this is going to work. And I'm like, no, no, I, they're not going to be reading it. I'm going to actually say these words on the stage. It's it's the difference, right? But I, I'm going to trend it. I'll, I'll trend it up. At some I'll trend point. it up. Trend it up. I think yeah. right that that should be a book. Right let's there. Re let's replace. Up. Let's replace. Unpack that with Trent it up. We'll Trent that up later. But you know, hey, we just keep uh, moving down, <laughs> moving on down the road. Um, so what's up next for you, my friend? You got the book is is you still have some room to tweak it. I think it comes out in May 2021. Is that when it's looking to come out in the world? Yes, it's supposed to be released just before Father's Day. It's very much a a dad book, so it'll be out in next May. Um, but it's available for pre-sale now. Uh, just in case the world doesn't have any more paper left, there's a limited number of editions currently being printed. Um, Steve will if, de deliver them personally to your I home. will. Anyone can. I will. I mean, it depends how many gender reveal parties we have. Because if there's too many, we will literally, all the trees will be burned. There will be no paper. When, Critch put his, when Mark Critch put his book out, I used to send him little fake posters that I'd made about his book and about how... I've been putting them on, on cars, these flyers on cars all weekend in downtown Halifax about how Mark Critch will come to your home and read a chapter from the book. <laughs> Simply send $75 to this email address and Mark Critch will personally come and read a chapter of your book. And he's like, you didn't put these out. Oh, yes, Mark, this will really get the book rolling. And <laughs> this will get it rolling. <laughs> 
comes to your home to read it to your children. Pick a pet, pick a chapter. He will read it to you. I don't have time for this. Oh, you'll do it because that's all part of being the author is now the promotion of the actual book. Yeah, and that is a big slog, but I actually love, I loved that part of the last book, the the because that's your chance to perform it, right? right. And some some writers are very reclusive and they really don't want to read it. They, yeah, they yeah. just wanted to write it. So it's a big advantage to being, to having performance experience. Like I'd go to some writers festivals and, you know, there would be a very, um, you know, a thorough book about gardening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the, the gardener that had written it, maybe not <laughs> most, yeah. most time interacting with petunias, you know, so it's yeah, uh, that's right. a little different dynamic, but then, <laughs> then I'd be able to do a stand up set. Yeah. I've heard that with musicians too, the same thing where they've talked about like, I, I just want to write my songs and play them. So now to be standing in a, in a room full of people and people trying to unpack <laughs> every lyric and <laughs> people trying to, well, what, tell us about your process and tell me about whatever they're like, that part I, I, have, I want no part in, you know, I, I just want to write my songs, perform them and leave. But they realize like, so you got to go to radio stations, you got to go do this yeah. thing, you got to do this thing. So that's uh, for some of them, they consider it a bit of a necessary evil that goes along with promoting an album and, and a tour. I mean, also athletes, right? I mean, those the sports interviews. Jesus, I just wish they would stop those in-game interviews. <laughs> oh what did God. you think about? What did you think about that goal? Yeah, you know, I shot it, went in, was Hopefully looking around, around like what? <laughs> obviously, uh, great passer by Jones either, and uh, obviously just said uh, make contact and uh, lucky went in. So, all right, well, thanks for that in depth. Um, <laughs> yeah, like we learned nothing there. There was no, there was no point in that. No. Yeah. And then when they do step out and say something a little outside the box, people just destroy them for it, right? It's like, well, what do we think of this? It's like, well, that's why they give you nothing. They never, they just give you the same, here's the stereotypical answer, a lot of character in this room, backs against the wall right now, we believe in our group. When someone speaks out, like Tortorella or someone, you know, it's like, I love oh, he's, yeah. he's, he's, you know, what's wrong with that guy? It's like, that guy just speaks what he feels and we don't have yeah. that anymore. You know, we've beaten that out of people. It's funny, Kyle Lowry did an interview last night. I don't know when this will be showing. I hope the Raptors are still uh, mm -hmm. in, involved. But um, do you see that? Was where they're like asking him? <laughs> I don't know what the question was. I, it was a kind of a dumb question, but it was like uh, you know, we noticed he didn't run up the court that one time that like Norm was going for shooting another three. Uh, you know, where you just kind of tired then to let him not a lot of gas in the tank. It's like in the double overtime, he's probably played an hour at this point. That's right. And uh, like he's probably played 60 minutes. And he goes, <laughs> he's got the mask on. He's like, can I answer like my honest answer? <laughs> like, they're like, yes, please. He's like, I was thinking, thank fucking God for Norm. Like, that's what he said. Because he was just like, I'm tired. Let somebody else get a basket. And uh, yeah reality right like we yeah people try to mask that now because we're going to destroy them on social media with uh you know with well i don't know if that was appropriate it's like well i'm just telling you my honest opinion you know and um all right buddy well <clears throat> we're, i'm looking forward to the book um and it's called Thanks, dad up so all you yeah. dads out there dad up you can get pre-sale now uh where do they find that steve uh, uh penguin random canada Okay. website probably and then cpatterson.ca i'm sure it's there's a link to it there okay but you, you <laughs> if it's to... if it sounds like i don't do my own website it's because i don't <laughs> i don't mittens. check that out mittens <laughs> mittens mittens do the book way <laughs>
she's gone outside to tinkle. Um, <laughs> she does get a break a couple of times a she's day. She's my webmaster, <laughs> and I love her. Um, so what is up next for you? So you're going to put the finishing touches on this thing, and then is it going to be kind of, I mean, it might be a bunch of virtual promo, right, for this for the book perhaps, or see how it goes? We don't know. Yeah, you know, what? no one knows what's, what next year holds at all. So um, if this is the thing that's going on, yeah, I'll be doing a lot of stuff a lot of interviews uh, online and things like that and promoting it. And, uh, but it's, you know, once you write something that's that dad related, you get invited to, to a lot of dad type events. So right. I, yeah, I'm going to be hanging out with a lot of dads, I think for a while and dad just getting back in dad fast. <laughs> Bring your cardigan and your, <laughs> and your remote control. Well, we'll talk about our remote controls and how it's different than your remote control. I think that's going to be the, the, the new car show. We'll just be a bunch of dads showing dads, up in the parking lot. It's the dad show. Pulling out the remotes. Yep. Just like, oh, nice. What's that, a 78, 78 Remington? Yeah, nice. Look at that. Yeah. Just a bunch of light switches left on. God damn it. God damn it. God damn it. This is what are great. We, what are we, heating up the whole goddamn neighborhood? You'll hear classics like... <laughs> God damn it, that milk's gone off. How much did we pay for that? Just complaining. And... Welcome to Old Here. Dad Fest 2021. Right. Here's a hammer to hit your own thumb with. <laughs> it's Dad Fest. You'll make projects that don't need to be done or started or completed. I took all the plates out of the cupboard and put them into another cupboard. Would you do Here's that? a car. <laughs> At 6.15 a.m. Here's a car with a sheet of plywood on the ceiling, but not attached. Why don't you try to drive this seven blocks, holding it up with one arm? I don't need rope. I'll just do this. No. Oh, the cops are here. That's unfortunate. That's weird. Dad All right, fest. brother. Nancy's calling me about some dad-related thing now. So All right, buddy. Go. Well, I'm going um, to get, can you just answer this one last question? Yes, of course. A quick thing here. Mm. I've asked most guests on the podcast, and I will fire this off to you. Uh, you can take a second to think about it if you need. I don't mind dead air, and we can listen to the jackhammer again. <laughs> here it is. That'd be nice. What, what is the biggest misperception people would have about you, and then what is the actual truth? Jesus, buddy. That's pretty deep. Oh, I got asked to me at a job interview at Boys and Girls Club, and I thought I'd never. <laughs> I was going to ask that to somebody else. True story. Bring, bringing it all full circle. I mean, I don't know if anyone's got perceptions about me, but uh, I think one of them might be that I have a, a because of the debaters and its success, that I have a an innate love of puns, and so I get. <laughs> sent on a weekly basis just a just a barrage of puns um that people that i've never met uh think i will think are hilarious and um i have to explain that uh, i i don't write those all those puns myself <laughs> we, we have a team we have a team of pun masters and uh nor do i like you have to put the effort in to make a pun so bad that it's good again like right. don't don't, don't be half-assed about it. So, you know, do I do I enjoy a real bad pun? Some of the time, but I, I think people, because they've only heard me on debaters, think I speak in puns 
all the time. And uh, I just want everyone to know that I don't, that I speak in, in common prose many times. And, uh, and not, all, not all puns are bad enough to be good. <laughs> that's, uh, that's good to get out in the world, that you Thank are you. not indeed a pun magnet, and that you would you. appreciate if people understood that you communicate just like the rest of us do. So, um, well, dude, what I'll... am I, Attila the pun? Sorry. <laughs> You know what? Mittens! Rewrite that! <laughs> mittens! Mittens! Get back in here! Well, dude, uh, thanks so much for doing this, man. It was great to catch up with you. It's one of the best things thanks, about doing the podcast is now reaching out to comics and actually that you haven't seen in quite a while. So um, great to catch up with you again. All the best with the book and uh, say hello to the family for me. Thanks, buddy. And you know what? Thanks for all uh, all you do. I love seeing your hustle pay off and uh, you're, you're contributing to 22 being a really important thing in this country. So congrats on the gig and all you're doing with it. And uh, I can't wait to see the wigs this year. <laughs> I haven't seen the top of your head in so long. <laughs> I know they're coming. I think it's part of the challenge with wearing that many wigs is that when you don't have a wig on, people are like, I don't know who that guy is, but you put a silly wig on my head. Oh, that's the guy. <laughs> So. Yeah, it's Trent. <laughs> you no, know, that's the guy. So, all right, buddy. Trent it up. Trent it up. Previously on Trent it up. All right, buddy. Oh, take okay, care. I got to see this other guy. Thanks, brother. Bye. There it is. Thanks so much. That was my chat with uh, Steve Patterson. Love catching up with him. I got to admit, a lot of. Uh, my podcast episodes are just selfish excuses to just catch up with people that I like uh, <laughs> and, and find out what they're up to. So uh, um, it's it's just great to be able to do that in, in this day and age and actually do the Zoom portion of it as well. You can actually see their face and and uh, you feel like you're almost catching up in person like we did in the old days. Um, thanks for listening. Have a fantastic week. Uh, another fantastic episode coming up for you guys next week. Um, Don't forget to subscribe, tell your friends. You can find us on Apple. You can find us on Spotify and pretty much anywhere else you get podcasts. So uh, continue to to listen in, subscribe, and uh, give us a review if you'd like as well. So thanks so much for listening, and uh, have a great week. We'll see you next week on The Generators.